Sports Network. All right. Welcome in. Almost to the weekend. Super Bowl Sunday closing in. It's a Friday edition of the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN Radio, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And you can always find us online. We're at SEMOESPN.com. Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Jess Bolin inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Here is the huddle hotline number 573-334-1220. 573-334-1220. The huddle hotline is powered by EBO. MD and stay tuned. Uh, later on in the show, just like yesterday, we've got two pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan's Mind of a Country Boy tour. And there'll be special guests, Larry Fleet, Chase Matthew, and Elena Springsteen. It's all going to happen at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater August 28th. Now, the tickets will actually go on sale later today. If you'd like to purchase tickets, you can find out how you can do that on our website. That is SEMOESPN.com. But two pair of Luke Bryan's Mind of a Country Board Tour tickets coming up later on in the show. So hang on for that. We'll get you set to go see Luke Bryan. Jess Boland in the house. How are things this morning? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I got flu or allergies or what, but... Um, Your not, voice uh, voice is taking a hit. Yeah, not on the upside, I would say. And I don't think I'm in a singing mood. You know how your voice gets, you get hoarse, and then all at once it gets powerful, and then you don't have any. So I don't know where I'll be within the show. You may have to carry me once. Give me some questions and short answers, you know, yes, no, that kind of thing. It's a lot of pressure. I know. I don't know if you can handle it. All right. uh, But I'm okay. I mean, it's it's not nothing, you know, serious or anything, I'm sure. You and I spent our evening last night at the Show Me Center. The Red Hawk women uh, found themselves down by 23 points with five minutes to play in the third quarter. Then they sliced eight points off that deficit. They went into the fourth quarter down 15. Then they cut it to four with just over three minutes left. Had a reverse layup attempt down under their basket to cut it to two. And that was... Their last best chance for a basket. They did not score over the final three minutes, no field goals, and they lost by 10 to Tennessee Tech, 76-66. And then the men just just absolutely steamrolled Tennessee Tech last night. The final score was 88-69, but at one stretch in the second half, with just under nine minutes to play, Simo had a 32 Point lead. So the men played their best game of the season. That first half, they scored 49 points. And then the women, uh, it's now a five-game losing streak. They are in 10th place, and uh, they've got to get going here if they're going to make the tournament. Yeah, that's true. And uh, the women went into the fourth period trailing by 15 and held Tech scoreless for the first four and a half minutes. And chopped into that lead, and it got serious. You know, I mean, the game got down where it was anybody's ball game, was pl- with plenty of time on the clock. And as you correctly described, that bucket under the goal 
it was a contested bucket. It wasn't just like she was by herself. And she could have been called for a foul, you know, the other team. But it didn't didn't go in. And that would have cut it to desperately close for Tech. And then Owens, being the good player she is, you know, hits a couple of free throws and then hits a three. Well, right there, you know, and that kind of put the game away. But that was a, a comeback that would last a long time as far as people's conversation if they could have succeeded. You know, 15 points behind and 10 minutes to go. That would have been a great comeback. And it was on the table. It was on the table. And a lot of times, I've been in sports all my life. When you make a comeback like that, especially in basketball where you're up and down the court, up and down, you cut in that lead and everything, your adrenaline's so high, you finally get back in the game, and then you get tired. You know, you get wore out because you've been playing 100% all the time, and you just wear out. And I'm not saying that's what happened to the Redhawks, but historically that's what happens when you're trying to fight to make up a deficit. And um, But... Rika can be proud of her team, the way they fought back. I mean, it was a comfort behind that most people say, relax and get ready for the men's game. But it became pretty exciting in that fourth period. And sophomore Alicia Doyle, just 31 points in the loss. And she's a big reason they came back. She had a great fourth period. She's Last night she was deadly with that jump shot. And um, so maybe the Hulk, uh <laughs> Red Hawks discovered something. It wasn't like Alicia Doyle is a surprise or anything because she's a good player, been a good player all year. But you're always looking for that person that can go to the next level, you know, and she might be that person. You don't know. She looked good last night. She's got a lot of things going for her. She's quick, speed, jumps well, shoots the mid-range jumper better than anybody on the team. So we'll see. She hasn't been a big three-point shooter, but last night, Jess, four for six from three-point range. Well, there's no reason you can't be a good three-point shooter if you're deadly from 15. You know, I don't know what the exact footage on a three-pointer is. 18 foot? Is that about what it is, 20? On that circle for a three-pointer? How deep is that? I think it's 19.9. Okay. If you're deadly at 15 or 16, there's no reason in the world you can't be deadly at 18 or 19. So it's uh, last night she was just good, period, with a capital G. But she's uh, <clears throat> looking forward to having more games like that, I'm sure. I mean, you're not going to 31, score 31 points so at the time, but excellent shooter and having those kind of games where you can kind of depend on her to get 12 to 15 points. 22 feet, one inch, three-point line. <clears throat> so it is quite a bit of difference between a 15-footer. But she's strong. There's no reason why she can't, you know, become a really good three-pointer. So the women are going to have to scramble here in order to make the tournament. Five straight losses. Tennessee State comes in here tomorrow and what tennessee state does first of all they cannot shoot the three they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league but they're big physical strong and they pound the ball inside and jess 
They are seventh in the nation at takeaways on defense. In the nation, they will turn you over. And last night, Simo in the basketball game, turned it over 18 times against Tech. And Tech outscored them in points off turnovers 24 to 12. That was a big factor in the game. And you've got a team coming in here tomorrow that are even better than Tennessee Tech in taking the ball away. So Red Hawks are going to be challenged in the turnover department. Yeah, they will. And um, where does Tennessee State get these players? But every year, you know, every year, the men also, especially the men, are big, physical, rough athletes. Every time you play them, you know, you're going to get knocked down a lot. They're just strong guys. And it's that way every year, isn't it? I mean, every year we talk about them. We talk about the physicality of this team. Not that they're especially any good this year. They were last year, but this year they're struggling. But they're always teams that going to bump you around, maybe a good rebounding team and stuff like that. But the Red Hawks men still got a good chance to make the playoffs, but they've got to have that game tomorrow. Simple as that. And the women, of course, they got to have that game tomorrow, but they got a tougher road ahead of them than the men. Tennessee State's men, they won again last night. They are 7-4, and four, and right now they're in a tie for fourth place with UT Martin. So they're one of the better teams yeah, in the OVC. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game, no doubt about it. And But you know what? If the Red Hawks men, now we're talking about, if they shoot like they did last night, not that you, it's hard to shoot the percentage they did last night, but... Uh, 60%. Yeah. They're not going to shoot 60%. Shoot 45% and make some threes. They could be hard to beat. I thought Simo's uh, defense looked pretty good last night. I mean, they... Uh, their offense was so good last night that sometimes the defense gets overlooked. But um, they jumped out last night. The lead. That's you know when Coach Carn got over there, we always have a few day, things to say before he does his interview with you. <clears throat> and I said, "Could you bottle that and open it up against Saturday?" <laughs> he, he said it was fun, wasn't it? And I said, "Yes, it was." It's so much fun for a coach to see his team perform. And, last, and it's been rare for the Red Hawk men, let's be honest, our women. been a tough year. But last night they hit on all cylinders. And that's, boy, it's so rewarding to a coach. And they got out of the gate so quickly. Uh, they were up 12-2 to two to start the game, and uh, Tech had to call timeout. Yeah, they, uh, they had some good runs last night. Uh, I don't know. What see what they wind up scoring eighty eight points. So don't forget your free custard today. Seventy three was the limit that is, you get Andy's free custard. So one of these days I'm gonna try that. Just tell me I didn't have a ticket, but I was there. See if I could get a cone. They may give me one just cause the old, I'm an old man. I told you, take your media credential. <clears throat> no, I don't flash media creden- creden- credentials in, in the public. 
in the I'm, public. I'm nobody. I don't want anybody to think I am. So it'll get you a free con. You can get by with that, but I'm I'm not going to do it. No. So last, and say, I'm on the radio. He said, "Yeah, right." So <laughs> last night, I thought the most impressive <laughs> performance, and we've seen a lot of good performances by Josh Early. He went seven of ten, fourteen points, eight boards, but the. Most impressive performance for me, Evan Ursher got his second start of the year. Now, Quan Smart was in street clothes last night. So, Coach Korn said after the game he does not know if Quan Smart's going to be ready to go. If I had to bet, kind of sounds like maybe he would not be available tomorrow, but we'll have to see. I have no inside information. And Coach Korn, quite frankly, said we just don't know. You know, he's going to work out. We'll see. But Evan Ursher last night, 16 points, two assists, two boards. He goes four of five from three-point range. That was the most impressive performance of the night for me, followed by B.J. Ward, who had set his career high in a loss to Western Illinois with 11. Well, he had 13 points last night, Jazz. He had seven assists, B.J. Ward, and at some point, you know, a lot of these guys, especially when they're freshmen, trying to get used to the college game, they start to figure it out. It starts to slow down a little bit. And right now, it looks like B.J. Ward might be on the road to becoming a Division One player that has got a few more things under control, understands what's going on, takes care of the basketball, excellent distributor. So uh, I was encouraged because if you look at the youth Rob Martin only got played in a handful of games last year at Indiana State. So you can make an argument, really, kind of like a freshman coming in. Uh, Braxton Stacker, handful of games at Murray, kind of like a freshman coming in. He had 11. Uh, you know that B.J. Ward is a freshman. T.J. Beal getting his first Division One experience. And so some of these young guys... Uh, Marquez Bell is getting a lot more playing time now as well. He's starting to look pretty good. So some of these young players that sometimes you just have to go through growing pains with them, it looks like they're starting to take steps forward. They're trending in the right direction, these guys who are just getting a good taste of Division One experience. Well, you're certainly right about Hersher. He looked tremendous last night, and so did Ward. Well, Ursher, we talked about, you know, getting more minutes. He started. He played 28 minutes last night in that game. And I, I like Stacker. I think Stacker is a guy that's so loaded with physical a talent that you don't even know how good he might be. I thought he had a good game, too. He had 11. And he's such a strong player. I mean, he's liable to go out there any time. I know he didn't get a lot of rebounds last night, but he's capable. Now, one slam dunk, or well, dunk on the other end when the slam dunk. But when he gets in close, he can get, get up there with anybody. So Ward was impressive. Urser, very impressive um, early. Good ball game. So, and you talk about Urser, Eric. He, he shot six of eight from the field for all his shots and only took, like I said, eight shots. I made six of them, four for five threes uh he's not gonna shoot like that at all of course every night but he, like you said young talent all at once 
this deep in the season, they're not freshmen. They've played enough games now, probably be almost two high school games at this point. So all at once, you know, Coach Carr and I talked about that a little bit. These young players, it's so much fun to watch them develop. And you have a hand in it. And they certainly have had a hand in teaching the game of basketball to these young kids. And I bring up guys like Rob Martin and Braxton Stacker, who they didn't play any, any meaningful minutes last night or last year for Indiana State and Murray State. They are playing not only meaningful minutes, but they're starting. They're averaging 28, 29 minutes per game. So that is their first real exposure to Division One basketball in meaningful games, not coming in in garbage time when it's an 18-point game, either you're up or you're down. Exactly. And that's what, you know, that's what young players do. They, they get that extra playing time because they played well the game before. And uh, I think Coach Karn does a good job of that, recognizing who is you know, getting to the point where you can really trust them in key spots. So, but, you know, last night's over. And as a coach, that's the way we all look at it. You know, that's over. Celebrate last night, but you got a job to do tomorrow. They need to come out and put it together again. And so if they're able to do that, it's going to be a 345 start time tomorrow for the men's game. The women go at 130. And last night in the OVC, uh, Moorhead State playing one of the better teams in the league, and that is SIU Edwardsville. And it was another double-digit home win for the Moorhead State men. They improved now to 10-1. and They have not lost at home this year, Moorhead State. They are 11-0. and SEMO will go there the final weekend of the regular season. And they've won two straight in that building, but, uh, you know, they had – Philip Russell and Chris Harris and some of those guys that were on the championship team. So, you know, it'll be a big challenge. But, again, 11-0 for Moorhead State. And Western Illinois, who went in last night, and they started a four-game homestand. Western Illinois was only a game behind Moorhead in the standings. They were at home against Little Rock last night. They had a 10-point lead at halftime. But Western Illinois ended up losing the game 63-60. to And we had talked about, you know, Western Illinois, a lot of their wins were single-digit wins. They didn't have a lot of double-digit wins. But also that they were ranked 349 out of 351 in free throws. And, you know, our discussion was at some point that's going to catch up to you if you're that bad of a free-throw shooting team. Well, they had a 10-point halftime lead, lost by three. I pulled up the box score. They went five for 12 from the free throw line. So it cost them last night. There you go. Um, we always talk about free throws don't win games. It's just win the close games. And sooner or later, it's going to come down to a game decided by the free throws. And you can't even shoot 50%. I'm not saying it cost them the game. There may have been other things that contributed more than that, but that is the glaring weakness that comes up and bites you. There's no quite. It's someday it'll come up and bite you if you have a weakness of any kind. You got a baseball. You got a weakness in right field. 
it, the ball will find them. How many times you heard that statement? And that's true. It's very true. So you got to do better than, well, I don't know what, 5 or 12 is, probably 40%. Because you free throws maybe almost twice that. So Western uh, loses at home. And Tennessee State, who comes in here tomorrow, uh, they went to Lindenwood and won 65 to 55. And this is a team uh, that has beaten SEMO twice, um, Lindenwood. Well, they held Keenan Cole to 4 of 13 shooting. They held Darius Bean to 2 of 8 shooting. Uh, but Lindenwood outscored him from the line 26-17. But this is a Tennessee State team that just handled Lindenwood, and you've lost to Lindenwood twice. So this is a talented team that Tennessee State is bringing in here tomorrow. And we'll see former Cape Central Tiger Kenyon Hodges. Uh, he had 10 points last night. Well, this is a game you have to win if you're Red Hawks. You know, you need the game. You're playing at home. I know they just beat a team on the road, but and they got a be- much better record than you do. That doesn't matter. You're going to have to square up and say we're going to have to play like we did last night. And if they do, they'll beat this team. They'll beat Tennessee State. Uh, sports has a funny way of, you know, yesterday before the game, or Monday, Monday, I guess, when Marty was on the show, I said I think the Red Hawks men – for sure, would make it to the playoffs. And I said, I just got confidence in their ability as team. Not their record. Their ability on the floor is they do have some good athletes. And this time of year, just like we're talking today about Ward, about Ursher, about Stacker, about some of the young players. Rob Martin. Having a great game, you know, last night. Well, that's four guys we just mentioned. If two of those guys tomorrow night can have a really good game, just like they did last night. Along with early. It's only 50% of what we named. The Red Hawks got a great chance to win that game. And so if you listen to this show, you want to see a good game, come out tomorrow. It's an afternoon game. One o'clock, is that what it is? One thirty for the women, 345 for the men. Because the Red Hawks are desperate, and when you got a team that's desperate, the, the game's going to be a hard-fought ball game. I can tell you that now before it starts. And that's uh, that's six losses in a row now for Tennessee Tech. So they haven't been playing well. You caught them at a good time. But remember, they beat SEMO in Cookville. Well, they got some good players, yeah. too. Once they fell down big, I did notice, though, that John – Pelfrey, you know, he pulled Javis Harvey out. Yeah. He was having a bad night. One of eight, 0 for 5 from 3. So they pulled him out. Uh, once it became clear that they weren't coming back, uh, not down by 30. And so you can say, okay, that's a bad team that's slumping. Okay, well, Simo just crushed them. So I realize that Tennessee Tech's not playing good basketball right now. That They're probably not going to make the tournament now. But Tennessee State, who comes in here tomorrow, is a much better team than Tennessee Tech. Well, and Tech had a lot to play for last night, Eric. I yeah. mean, they were in the same boat with Southeast. If 
fighting to get in the tournament, and you had both had a two and eight record, so it wasn't like you were playing somebody that's rolling over last night. Um, I've said this a hundred times, but I believe in it. It's now how good. It's not how good your team is. It's how good they're playing at the time. Go back to SEMO baseball last year. The Redhawks didn't play good, didn't play well the last two or three weeks of the season, but played really good up to that point. So you know good and well last year's team was not an 0-11 team in the last 11. It's just how good are you playing at the moment that it really puts you over the top or whatever. They suffered through a tough spot last year, but that wasn't their team. Don't you agree? No uh, 11. I mean, they wasn't a struggling team all year. They were a good ball club. And it, but sometimes in sports, you can't explain it. But I remember saying this, that whenever you come out of a slump, whether you're a hitter, a basketball player, football, whatever you are, it doesn't matter who you're playing. As a team, it doesn't matter. You're going to hit on all cylinders just like the Red Hawks did last night. Last night, it probably wouldn't have made any difference if they were playing Moorhead or whoever in the OVC. The way they were playing, they were going to win. Simple as that. And if they play anywhere near that tomorrow, they will win. That's why you love sports. It's so unpredictable. You think you got it all figured out? You say, well, wait a minute. Have you seen this? Especially baseball. Man. Baseball, you think you got to figure it out, and then you get to come to Jesus game where you're on your knees and you know nothing about what's going on. Speaking of SEMO baseball, they open one week from today at Dallas Baptist. Coach Andy Sawyers will join us, Jess, next Wednesday. So we'll get a preview from the Red Hawks baseball coach, and then Thursday we'll hop on the bus, head down, to Dallas, Texas, and play the Patriots for three games in a row. Friday, well, Saturday, they should Sunday. get those games in, playing down there, and uh, probably be like late April here to play down in Texas. I'm going to have to get on my Weather Channel app, see what they're projecting yeah. in Dallas. They have a turf field down there? You, you I know? think they have a turf field. I think they do. We well, just played down there. Really, years ago. so good when you go on the road if you know the team's got a turf field because you're probably not going to get rained out. They were ranked in the top 25 a couple of years ago. Simo went down there and took two of three from them. Yeah. Um, turning to football here, and we'll talk more about the Super Bowl. There's baseball news. Um, Rusty Hendricks, by the way, he and Clay Harrell tomorrow on the Simo Scramble. At 9.30, Jess, they're going to have Josh Klingler on. Klingler is the sideline reporter for the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. So Klingler will be on with Rusty and Clay tomorrow. SEMO scramble 9.30. Uh, So tune into that. Get the very latest on what's going on with the Chiefs. That will be very interesting to find out, you know, a little bit of the inside part of the Chiefs and what's going on. And always right before we get into the Super Bowl weekend, last night the awards were handed out and the newest members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame were announced. 
And as expected, 27-year-old Lamar Jackson was a near-unanimous selection for the MVP. Got 49 of 50 first-place votes. His first MVP, he was unanimous. The other first-place vote went to Josh Allen, who ended up finishing fifth. But Lamar Jackson runs away with it. He's the youngest two-time MVP winner. He beat out Patrick Mahomes by nine months. So Lamar Jackson, who did not deliver in the playoffs again, but he certainly did in the regular season. Lamar Jackson is your MVP. That is not breaking news. I think everybody that follows the game knew that he was going to win it. Well, I'll give him all the accolades he deserves, okay? He had a great year. But sooner or later, he's going to have to win a Super Bowl to be justifiably good enough to get the uh, rewards that he's been getting, in my opinion. And I know it all comes down to what you got around you, but the Ravens were an excellent defensive team. And offensively, if he's going to win MVP, the offense must have turned along pretty good, too. They were excellent. So don't you agree that someday he's going to have to move it up the ladder to justify the awards he's getting? And I'm sorry, you know, people say, well, you know, Marino never won a Super Bowl. That's true. Great quarterback. But if he'd won a couple of Super Bowls, where would it Marino rank then? I just think that you can be the best player in the regular season, but it's got to go into the playoffs too. Got to be that same guy. I didn't think he looked very good at all against Kansas City. And so... Not begrudging the award he got. I'm not. But someday, if you get a couple, he's two MVPs now? Yes. For Jackson? You, to me, you gotta, you got to justify that and move up the ladder in the playoffs. So you look at the list of players who've won <laughs> multiple MVPs since 1967. Steve Young... Joe Montana and Patrick Mahomes have won two. Brett Favre won three. Tom Brady won three. Aaron Rodgers has four MVP awards. And Peyton Manning has five. So since 67, these are your guys who have won multiple MVPs. And you go down the list. Peyton Manning, two Super Bowls. Rodgers won one. Brady, seven. Favre. 1-1. One, one. Mahomes has won two. Montana won four. Steve Young won one. Lamar Jackson still searching. And I'm not trying to take away from the award he got at all. He deserved it. Oh, 49 of 50 first place votes. You, I mean, you know, you, you judge by the regular season. These votes go in before you have a playoff game, I'm sure. But so far at age 27, he has not played good in a big game no he hasn't so for him to be ranked with Mahomes, you know montana people like this he's gonna have to win the super bowl he's two and four in playoff games yeah and i know it's his team it's not just it's not a one-man show with lamar jackson the newest members of the pro football hall of fame were announced jess and tory holt shut out again here are the guys that made it in. Defensive end, Julius Peppers. DN Dwight Freeney. I mean, you talk about guys that were freaking edge rushers. 
Linebacker Patrick Willis, he was a beast for the 49ers. And arguably the greatest special teams man in terms of returns of kickoffs and punt returns, Devin Hester from the Chicago Bears. Oh, I remember him. Elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He holds the record for kickoff and punt return touchdowns. And there was a wide receiver elected. Andre Johnson. Johnson, good numbers. Is he with Detroit? Uh, he played for the Houston Texans okay. for the most part. Andre Johnson, who came out of the University of Miami. Uh, you go and compare and break the numbers down. His numbers are not as good in many categories as Torrey Holt, and he does not have a Super Bowl. So Andre Johnson. How close did Holt come? We don't know. Okay. So well, Isaac Bruce made it, didn't he? He's in all of them. Yes, and several of those really good Rams teams. Ninety nine, two thousand. One of the theories is, with some of the voters, they feel like the greatest show on turf team has been well represented, and there may be Rams fatigue exactly. with Warner and Falk and Pace and Isaac Bruce. Yeah. But you know what? If you deserve it, you deserve it. And Torrey Holt was a major factor with the Rams. Boy, they had a tandem, didn't they? Mm. One on each side of the hill. Mm. That, that was. Don't forget Ricky Prohl. He caught the uh, the game winning touchdown in the NFC Championship win over Tampa yeah, Bay. A guy that's got hands glue. And when they won that. AFC Championship to go to Hakeem, the Super Bowl. how about him, too? There's another little nug nut. Nug nut? What's that? Yeah, not sure. I was Man, just, I was apologize just, for that. I was just going <clears> to <throat> I know. glide past just that. Just let it pass, yeah. but I don't. Nug nut, that's one of the ones to write down. Here's a little. Any, any reference for that word. NFL nug nut, nugget, whatever, however you want to say it. Just when the. Rams beat Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship. You remember what the final score was? In that uh, game? Like 10 to 6. 11 to 6. Yeah. And that was the first time in the history of the NFL that a playoff game ever finished with that score. 11 to 6. It never happened before. Yeah, and I remember Ricky Pro, I think, is the only one that. Had a touchdown in the game. That's it. And the senior committee elected two players. Linebacker Randy Gratishar, who played for the Denver Broncos. His last game was 83. And then Steve McMichael, the defensive lineman for the Chicago Bears, was on the 85 Bears, Super Bowl champs. He retired after the 94 season. So Gratishar and McMichael, the old-timers, I'm wondering uh, how many of those 85 Bears are in the Hall of Fame. You talk about the Rams getting Ram sickness. I'm wondering how many of those Bears are in the Hall of Fame. Singletary's in. Richard Dent is in. Now McMichael is in. I don't think Gary Fensick is in. But, yeah. Peyton's in it, too, isn't he? Yes. So they got four, at least, that at least. you know. So maybe next year, 
will be the year for Torrey Holt. I hope he gets in. You remember the Rams lost to New Orleans? The chance to go to the Super Bowl again? When I came fumbled the punt. Yeah, and I, I, I'll never forget this story. We were down in Tunica, and I, I walked in, and Isaac Bruce was in there playing a slot, little quarter slot, I think. And uh, that just happened on the Super Bowl. And I t- was talking to him, and I said, how do you feel that punt where Azakim, I think, was like, he was inside the 10. I remember that. The Rams get the ball with three minutes to go or so. You know, good and well, they're probably going to go down the field and win the game. And he tries to catch the punt and fumbles it. And he should have just let it go. And I asked Isaac about that. You know, I guess some old-fashioned when, when you have to back, you start at the 10 as a, a punt returner. And you don't back up. If you have to back up to feel it, you get out of the way. Because the likelihood of going in the end zone. And he looked at me and he said, if you only knew Akeem, he thinks every time he touches the ball, it's going to be a touchdown. So that's his thinking. He was a good returner, oh, but, yeah. but he wasn't Dante Hall. No, he was. He wasn't Devin Hester. Yeah, and he was the guy that coughed it up, you know, once in a while. So. But the Rams were unbelievable team to watch those three years in a row. They scored 500 a year so in addition to the mvp the other awards in the national football league last night the offensive player of the year the chiefs are gonna have to figure out a way to slow him down christian mccaffrey of the 49ers he led the nfl in scrimmage yards scrimmage touchdowns rushing yards first downs 10 plus yard runs in 16 games well, I think he's the best running back in football. The white running back. Yeah, don't you? Yes. I think he's the best running back in football. I don't think there's any he's question. really, really good. The defensive player of the year. Most believe that Miles Garrett was going to win the award, and he did for the Cleveland Browns. So Miles Garrett, just a beast rushing the passer. Offensive rookie of the year. C.J. Stroud, the quarterback for the Houston Texans, man, he had a marvelous, marvelous season. He set the record for most pass attempts without an interception to start a career. Jesse threw his first 191 passes as a rookie without being intercepted. He led the league in touchdown-to-interception ratio, 23 scores, 5 picks. 4,100 passing yards. Third most ever for a rookie behind Andrew Luck and Justin Herbert. That way, I mean, C.J. Stroud was phenomenal. Yes, he was. And you just go back <clears throat> when Georgia won the national championship and beat Ohio State on that late field goal. Ohio State had outplayed Georgia, and C.J. Stroud was carving up that great Georgia defense. So his final game as a college player, uh, he kind of – Gave you a little preview that maybe he would be an impact quarterback in the National Football League, and he was. I don't have any problem with any of those awards. Do you? I think they pretty well nailed it. Well, Houston was just awful, so much so that they had to change coaches. 
They've got the defensive rookie of the year. Defensive end Will Anderson Jr. won it for the Texans. The coach of the year, and there were multiple, you know, coaches that uh, could make a strong argument, but Kevin Stefanski for the Cleveland Browns, Jess. And the comeback player of the year, I think some thought maybe Baker Mayfield, maybe DeMar Hamlin after, you know, dying on the field, having to be resuscitated, came back. It went to Joe Flacco, who was sitting on his couch. The Cleveland Browns called him up, and he took him to the playoffs after they had gone through three quarterbacks. Flacco, out of retirement, led him to the playoffs. Well, that's a great story, you know. Kind of a little bit like Kurt Warner. You know, you don't really have any thoughts about him doing that coming back but um he did a good job 30 39 years old i don't have any problem with any of those awards you hooked him up to a lie detector when he was hanging out at his home at 39 years old do you think you'll get another opportunity (laughs) in the national football league no the sun is done set no (laughs) not gonna happen uh some baseball news and uh, a little super bowl talk And maybe some keys for the Chiefs to win on Sunday. But before that, we're going to take the first two callers at 334-1220. We've got tickets for you to see Luke Bryan's Mind of a Country Board Tour at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, August 28th. Two pair of tickets to the first two callers at 334-1220. We're going to send you to see Luke Bryan and company. Sports Huddle, coming right back. The Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at com. Congratulations to our Luke Bryan concert ticket winners, Jess, Eric Northington, Eric with a C, from Scott City. And Jackie Hudson of Jackson are the winners, and I'm sure they're going to enjoy the show August 28th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Well, I hope they have good weather and stuff like that because I think it's outside. And um, I've never been there. I think it's. I think it is. So, congratulations to them. That's something to look forward to. All right, uh, some uh, baseball news, Jess. Former Cardinal outfielder Adolis Garcia. Two years. MVP of the American League Championship (laughs) Series for the Texas Rangers. Avoids arbitration, a two-year $14 million deal. Through incentives and escalators... He could make as much as $20.25 million. He's 30 years old, 39 Jimmy Jacks last year. Yeah, he's he's a real deal. He's probably a, just a ultimate fourth-place type hitter. Also a good outfielder. I think he talking off the top of my head, but I think he led the league in assist so the cards gave up a good one there you think uh-huh. 
I like that jacket shirt you got on this pullover. It is nice. It's solid white, black around the collar, red oak emblem on the front, over the heart. Quarter zip. Yeah, it, it's, I don't like it. Where'd you get that? Somebody give it to you? I bought it. I like it. Is it new? I've had it for three, four months. Yeah, it really looks good. The big four in Major League Baseball are still all unsigned. The big four in this instance, arguably the top free agents left on the market. Scott Boers. Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, the two big-name pitchers, and the two big hitters, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman. What do they all have in common? Uh, Scott Boris. Scott Boris is the agent for Bellinger, Chapman, Montgomery, and Snell. He doesn't mind you sitting out a third of the year or whatever. You don't think, I can't prove it, but I bet you he has to have multiple conversations. Some of these guys will start to get antsy. Yes. Everybody's signed. They're watching MLB Network, and MLB Network is saying, what's going on here? Are we gonna get? Uh, are we gonna get some action? Are we gonna get some some contracts signed? Bellinger reportedly wants ten million. Snell wants like over two hundred fifty. I, I mean, some of Bellinger these numbers. Ten years. Oh, oh, you said ten million. I thought if he wants ten million, get him signed. Oh, he'd be signed by the Cubs already. Ten year contract. That's not going to happen. I'm sorry. It just won't happen for Bellinger. That's why none of these guys have yeah. signed because Boris has put these But he lets massive... people, he honestly doesn't care if you sit out a third of the year to get a third contract. of the year. Nobody's ever sat out the third of the year. Well, you know what? Well, it's metaphorical. Okay. Okay. Don't, don't take everything you hear for gospel. Yeah. But those are the big four. But he doesn't mind you missing some games or getting to spring training late. I wonder, mind at all. I wonder if anybody, if he drags any of these players out past opening day. Because at some point, a player is just going to step up and say, listen, man, I know what you're trying to it's do. It's my career. We want to maximize everything. But if you are a player and, more importantly, a team that wants to sign one of these guys, do you want any of these guys missing spring training especially the pitchers who have got to get their arm in condition. It's one thing to have off-season workouts. Bull pit, yeah. They need to throw they in do. games. And Cody Bellinger, there's a guy that he had this one great year of the Cubs, but the couple years before that were not good at all. And try to get 10 years, Cody Bellinger should sign a five-year contract or whatever he can get in those areas of years. And be glad he got him because he could just as easily revert back to the years the Dodgers got rid of him because they were giving up on him. And I did, I believed that he could come back and set it on this show. And he did with the Cubs. He may be that player the rest of his career, but he may not. So that, that's what, if I was the owner of the ball club, I would not invest 10 years in Cody Bellinger. Simple as that. And I think. Everybody feels that way. Now, five, he might get a five-year contract and it might be a lot of money. Well, it will be. But take the five or whatever. 
four, six, somewhere in that range. The interesting numbers here on Blake Snell, I don't know if you've ever kind of dug down into his numbers. You do a deep dive. Okay, he's played eight years in the big leagues. His 162-game average. Well, let, let me just give you the, the innings pitched. Only twice in his career in eight years, well, maybe you say seven, because you can't really count 2020, COVID. the COVID year. Yeah. So of his seven full years, just only twice has he thrown more than 129 innings. Twice. Yeah. And is. both times, when he did, he threw 180, and he won the Cy Young both times. So of seven full seasons, only twice has he thrown more than 129 innings. If you don't think that's being discussed with Scott Boris. Well, wouldn't you, if you were an owner and you're going to invest that kind of money in a guy, wouldn't you bring up the stuff like that? I would. Look, we don't know if we're going to get the 180-inning pitcher or the 129 innings. Here's what I think is interesting with the year Snell had. He led. <laughs> I don't know if this has ever been done before. Maybe it has. I I, I know Nolan Ryan, uh, I think, did it. Blake Snell led Major League Baseball in earned run average. He also led Major League Baseball in walks. 99 walks. But he also led Major League Baseball in ERA+. plus. So it's very, very interesting that a guy could lead the league in walks and in earned run average. Yeah, it is. He's going to get big, big numbers once he signs. But those are the big four still unsigned. All right, Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. It's going to be just after 5.30 when we finally kick the game off. And as far as the Chiefs are concerned, Jess, can they, you know, Joe Thune's out. The right guard. Can they control the 49ers pass rush? They have a good pass rush. Can they keep pressure off of Mahomes? Because the Super Bowl that he lost, they were decimated with injuries on the offensive line. Andy Reid didn't do Patrick Mahomes any favors with the play calling. He was running for his life. He was pressured more in that Super Bowl than in any other game he has ever played in his six-year career. Can they keep the pass rush off of Mahomes? Can the Chiefs run the football? Because the 49ers are susceptible to the run. Their run defense is not ranked highly. And to me, can Travis Kelsey continue the success <laughs> that he's had? I'm not saying he's going to catch 11 balls and 11 targets like he did against Baltimore. Can Kelsey continue his success? Outside the numbers, not just down the middle of the field. He had some success outside the numbers. And can the Chiefs defense, which is elite against the pass, but there have been some teams that have run on them. Buffalo did. 
Can the Chiefs defense slow down Christian McCaffrey and make Brock Purdy beat them? I think all these players you mentioned, Kelsey McCaffrey, Mahomes, all these players will have a good game. Good players have a way of rising up to occasion. I think San Francisco will be hard to beat because didn't they lose to the Chiefs two years ago? Super Bowl? Four years ago. Four 20. years ago. Well, there's still some, a lot of players still on San Francisco's team, probably. It was in that Super Bowl. They will be really hungry to win this more than uh, Chiefs. Chiefs don't have anything to prove. They've won a couple. Don't tell them that. <clears throat> they they want to go in there and prove everybody. Yeah, and may, maybe they will. But I really think San Francisco will be tough to beat because I, they really are going to be hungry for this. It's always a factor that is there. You don't know how much it's going to affect the game. But a team that wants it more than the other team, even though you think you want it, the other team's desperately wanting it. I think it would be a close game. I think it would be a hard game. I think Chiefs will win. But I think it I'm not betting. would surprise me a bit if San Francisco does. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes. I'm not either. And one thing to keep in mind, and again, you're just looking at times that they lined up Andy Reid against Kyle Shanahan's team. Well, Chiefs know. were down 10 points going into the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 54, and they outscored San Fran 21 nothing in the fourth quarter. They won it 31-20. Last year, not this season, last year, the Chiefs went to San Francisco and won 44-23. to Those are the last two meetings between these two teams. Yeah, and you ask if Kelsey would have another game like he did with 11 catches. No. No, he won't. I would bet money he doesn't. It, But it only matters what you do in this game. Does he make five or six critical catches? Yes, he probably will. Will Mahomes be a really great quarterback in this game? Yeah, he probably will. Will McCaffrey be a great running back? In this game, probably will. It just depends on what when you do it. Do you come through in the game situation? That's And that's going to come down to this game, I think. Does Mahomes break loose and make a great pass? Does McCaffrey break loose, get a 14, 15-yard touchdown run? Does Marquez, yeah. Valdez, Scantling <laughs> not drop a, yeah, a ball late? So, that's why you love sports. You know what you think might happen. A lot of times you're right, and a lot of times you're wrong. So that's why you tune in, and I will be tuned in. So you look at the three losses Patrick Mahomes has had in the postseason. <clears throat> and again, we mentioned the Super Bowl where he was pressured more than he has in any other game Three offensive linemen, including both of their tackles, were out in that game, and Andy Reid's play calling did not do him any favors, ran for his life, and they lost to Brady. They lost to Brady at Arrowhead in the AFC Championship game. I believe it was Brady's last year as a Patriot, or next to last year. Either way, Jess, if Frank Clark does not jump off sides, they don't lose that game. They win. They go to the Super Bowl. But give the Patriots credit. They won the game. And then you just look at his playoff appearances 
and how he's performed. The only time he was not good, two years ago at Arrowhead in the second half against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, he was bad. You go look at his numbers, he was terrible. I mean, those two interceptions, that's it? Those are the only poor performances you've had in the postseason? I'm just not betting on Mahomes. Close game. Uh, First of all, the Chiefs have a much better kicker. Harrison Butker is way better than Moody for the 49ers. Uh, Does that mean it'll come down to a field goal? Don't know. Might. Might very well come down to a field goal. Um, I think Brock Purdy should get all the accolades and just forget the fact that he was Mr. Irrelevant, the last player taken in the draft. But in a tight game, I want to see Brock Purdy from the pocket beat the Chiefs and Steve Spagnuolo's defense. I got to see it. I got to see it to believe it. But I do believe Christian McCaffrey has the capability of running on the Chiefs. Oh, yeah. I I won't doubt that. And the weapons are no question. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. They have more weapons on offense than the Chiefs. But they don't have number 15. And if if San Francisco defense plays like they're capable of playing with the offense San Francisco, you can see why they're favored. If it is just a game. A point or two. It's going to be a good matchup for fans, I think. And uh, I cannot wait. The one thing that factors in for me, Kansas City historically has been a team that you just can't stop. With Mahomes, Kelsey, you just can't stop them. But Kansas City's defense is what's in factor to me. They are really improved on the defense on Kansas City Chiefs. So now they don't have to score as many points to win because the defense holds. If the defense shows up for the Chiefs like they've been playing pretty well all year, the Chiefs will win this game. I do believe that because Mahomes will find a way to put some points on the board against a really good ball club, the, the 49ers. But I, I believe the quarterback will make the difference in this game. 20, always go to the quarterback. 27-24 Chiefs. I'm going to cut that down to 21-17 Chiefs. Write that down. Roll back the tape. 21-17, and you're saying what? 27-24. All right, Jess, hello to the Radiant and ravishing Dawn Sean. She enjoyed uh, going to the Show Me Center last night, watching the Red Hawks absolutely dismantle Tennessee Tech in that men's game. She's been off for the last few days, so uh, she'll be working this weekend. Unfortunately, she'll be working during the Super Bowl, but I'll be texting her updates. Uh, We will not be here on Monday, but we will be back on Tuesday and we will also be talking to Marty Misha next week. We've got Andy Sawyers coming on on Wednesday. I think I, I think I set Marty up for Wednesday. Well, since then, that's the day that Andy Sawyers are available. So I'll communicate with Marty. We'll get him on next week. We leave Thursday uh, with baseball to head down to Dallas, Texas. So we will be back on Tuesday, and uh, we'll talk more about the Super Bowl then. Yeah, got sounds final, good. Final. Weekend thought for us? Well, I stay out of my girls in Texas and Columbia and, um, and my boys, Tom and 
Tom's listening to the game, and he wanted to be sure we recognize the Ohio State. So I guess yeah, I said, that's where I Stroud mean, is uh, from. They, they should have won that game <clears throat> against Georgia. Stroud was outstanding. And Kim did text me also that the concert is outside in August that we're giving away because she's been there a few times. Right. How about this one to end the week? What wisdom can you find that is greater than kindness? Well, I buy into that. I didn't write it, but I buy into that. Kindness is something we need more in the world. And that was written by Jean Rousseau. Thank you, Jeannie. Yeah. Jess, uh, you and I will convene at the Show Me Center tomorrow. Simo women at one thirty, men at three forty-five. Maybe, and, and uh, if your voice maybe for me can do yeah. it. Uh, if not, enjoy the Super Bowl, and uh, we'll reconvene here on Tuesday. Sounds great. All right, that's a Hall of Famer. Stay tuned. Greenies coming up. Have a great Super Bowl weekend, everybody. Go Chiefs.